probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to The Thing Minute Podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from harperwharris.com, and joining me again today is... Todd Cameron from outpost31.com, the number one fan site for The Thing. Awesome. Thanks for coming back, Todd. Thanks for having me. Cool. So this minute, uh, this is a pretty fun one. This is where we get introductions to a lot of the, uh, lot of the characters at the camp here. So minute 12 begins with Blair kind of uh, admonishing Windows for not being able to, uh, to get in contact with anybody. And it ends with the, uh, the whole crew kind of discussing the Norwegians uh, over, over the Norwegian dead body at the camp. So here we get introductions to uh, a bunch of the uh, characters here at the camp. And I guess starting with, uh, with Wilfred Brimley's character of Blair, which is um, certainly one of my favorite characters in, in the movie. Blair is Blair is one of those ones that I, I was my mind was blown when uh, you know years after I had seen the thing for the first time when I found out that it was Wilford Brimley that played the character because I was most familiar with Wilford Brimley obviously from his uh, TV commercial work for uh, for Liberty Medical and for uh, uh, the Quaker Oats commercials <laughs> it kind of blew my mind right. when I found out that in my favorite horror movie of all time I had no idea that you know it was played by this guy that we'd always seen you know on, on daytime TV. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, I always think it's kind of fun that Wilford Brimley was is in this movie. This does, you know, on the surface, this does not seem like the kind of movie he is necessarily into, and, and is you know, in interviews and things like that, he, he obviously speaks very warmly of, of John Carpenter, and it seems like they've you know kept up a friendship over the years. But he's always kind of like, you know, as fantastic as he is in this movie, he's always kind of hesitant to talk about it, and like, uh, uh, you know, it's a movie about slimy rubber dogs, you know. <laughs> So true, but I, I think you know in the last, especially in the last year, with, with him attending a couple of conventions, mm-hmm. he's really come around. And I tell you, he he was a riot to listen to on on the panels. You know, he had everybody in stitches and falling out of their chairs. W- what a character and personality! Oh yeah, he's such a funny guy. I, I love when they um when they talk about him in the uh, commentary. How um, Kurt Russell's like, yeah, they really broke the mold with that one. <laughs> um, so true. Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, and Blair, I would almost consider probably to be the uh, you know probably second. I, I can't remember how they're how they're billed in the credits, but I, I think he's probably the second most important character in the film in a lot of ways. He obviously gets the ball rolling and kind of you know clarifies what is actually happening, and obviously what ends up happening with him plays a huge role in how the movie ends too. Yeah, definitely, he's definitely a pivotal character in in, in the story. That's for sure. And we we get a great kind of establishment of of his character and what he's like here in the beginning. It's and it's actually kind of different from uh, in the script. He's described as fifty sensitive, intelligent, unassuming, and assistant biologist. And this first scene here, uh, unassuming is not how I would describe describe him. <laughs> you know, as he kind of yells at uh, at Windows to to find anybody over the radio. So that's kind of a, I, I like, I think Windows and Blair are probably the two people who hang out together the least at the camp, I would guess. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Um, it's funny because after, after meeting Wilford Brimley and, and listening to him speak, his, his character Blair comes across much as, as he is, 
you know, as much as actors try and get into character, they always present a little bit of their their real personality. Mm-hmm. And I'd say I'd say that's true with uh, Brimley and Blair. Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of Wilfred Brimley in, in Blair, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yesterday we talked about, you know, the having Windows having difficulty uh, with the radio. Um, but then right after that comes one of uh, one of my favorite shots in the movie, actually, with uh, with Nalls roller skating down the hall. Um, that's one of the first great kind of, you know, steady cam shots down the hallway. And it's one of the ones that really establishes kind of the, the layout of the camp as well. I would I would guess that that shot played a big role in the the maps that uh, you guys put together on the site. Yes, good call on that one. It, it did because you can see some unique stuff in that one shot of him coming because he, he skates past the first doorway to the uh, rec room, and then he swings around and comes in the second doorway. And you know uh, we we spent some serious time. Um, Steve Crawford, the late Steve Crawford, my friend who passed away, he initially um, did the, the the first map of the camp. Um, but it wasn't complete. It was about 90% complete. And then just this past month, um, another fan and I put a good amount of time in to create a complete map. And it was kind of tricky because we needed the map to work with what we see in the movie. We know it's a movie set, so it's not an actual complete real outpost. Mm-hmm. You know, some, some of it's in L.A., some of it is up in Stewart. Um, and they put it all together. And, of course, then there's editing. But we made a map that would actually flow and work for what, what is seen on, on film. Yeah, and it's really, really cool. It definitely um, it gives you a great kind of uh, you know idea of kind of where things are happening. Because yeah, it is in such tight quarters, and and obviously because of editing and and using different sets and things like that, it's not immediately clear exactly where everything is. So yeah, having that resource is really cool. And it sounds like the prequel actually uses used your map uh, to um, to kind of get a layout of how they set things up, right? That's right. Uh, I was just going to mention that. I don't know how to pronounce the director's name correctly, um, <laughs> but he, he had used found Outpost 31 in his research and they had printed the maps up and actually used them in, in building the Norwegian camp because uh, Steve did, did a map of the Norwegian camp as well. And I, I, it's funny because that movie was the exteriors on the prequel were filmed about 20 minutes from where I was living. Oh, wow. Uh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, kind of ironically crazy there, coincidental. And I, I'd, I'd unfortunately just left for a three months trip overseas, and I was there a week and got an email from my friend who did the, the pyrotechnics effects for the movie, hmm. and I got an invite to the set, and I was actually on their side of the world, so I couldn't attend uh, and come and see it, so I totally missed that. But uh, it was cool to hear that they were, you know, resourcing our site and using using Steve's map. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, that's that's just another one of the examples of kind of how the site has kind of bridged the gap between the fan community and the, you know, the professional community involved with, with the, the movie and, and, you know, now the, I guess the franchise. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. That was back in January of 2010. So um, yeah, I, I love that shot of, of Nalls kind of uh, rolling through the hallway. It's, it's, it's one of those shots that's kind of, it's a little playful, but it's also very kind of eerie. It definitely adds to kind of the, the atmosphere a little bit and it, and it breaks up those two scenes really nicely too, I think. But I, I especially love that it builds to such a, you know, that kind of a silly line. Uh, one of the, the first, I think it is uh, Nall's first line in uh, Maybe We at War with Norway, you know. <laughs> it's such a, that's such a great kind of breaks that tension completely. Um, it's just, you know, uh, and it establishes Nall. This whole scene actually establishes Nall's very well. He's definitely one of the most, uh, one of the most likable guys on the camp. Mm-hmm, for sure. So yeah, so we can let's talk about uh, Nalls a little bit. So uh, in the script, he's described as twenty-two, the cook, 
bright, black, irreverent, but kind-hearted, roller skates. Just <laughs> just the two words, roller skates, uh, which, you know, definitely are uh, a big part of his uh, his kind of character in the movie. So, uh, yeah, Nalls definitely plays kind of the... Um, comedic break uh breaks in a, in the movie a few in a few spots and um and does a good job of kind of you know breaking the tension in a lot of places so uh yeah I, i've always kind of liked Niles, and I, I like that he's one of the characters that makes it till the very end it's it's such a shame that we don't get to see exactly what what happens to him in the end right just one more of the mysteries of the, of the movie yeah i believe tk carter was the youngest cast member as well i believe it was him yeah, I think so. And I think he's either him or Clark are supposed to be youngest just based on the script. But yeah, I think uh, he was 24. 24. Yeah. 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 So, so uh, yeah, definitely the youngest of the cast and, uh, you know, probably probably the least, uh, maybe the least uh, whiny about the situation, probably given that he was probably a l- more excited to be involved in something uh, such such a crazy, you know, filming location and stuff than maybe some of these older guys. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure the movie was an adventure, you know, with, with that location. Um, I haven't been up there in the winter, but I've been there in the summer. And uh, man, I tell you, it was it was incredible up there. And, you know, Wilford Brimley didn't even go. <laughs> yeah, that's so. right. Yeah. And, and I think, was is he the only cast member that was that's not in any of the uh, the, the actual shots up in Stewart? That's correct. Yeah. Um, they used a stand in for there's only two shots, I believe they needed for Wilford Brimley. Uh, and Stuart, and they had a stand-in for him pretty, pretty easily. Yeah. And, yeah, I can't imagine what it'd be like there up there in the wintertime. Um, you know, they got really lucky because that location is only accessible uh, because the mine was open. Um, the Grand Duke Mine was operating and actually shut the following year in 83. And once that mine is closed, there, there would be no way to access that location with the snowfall in the winter. Yeah, and it sounds like they uh, they definitely had a couple of um, misadventures getting to the set. I know I've it, it, it's one of those things that if I'd heard it if I'd heard the story from one person on the cast, I would think it was maybe an exaggeration. But I've I've read it and heard people talk about it so many times about the uh, the bus almost falling over the edge of a cliff. <laughs> oh man, I tell you, I'd driven that road, and if had that bus had gone over that edge, I don't know whereabouts on the road they were, but it would have been goodbye to that movie because I tell you, it's it's about a thousand foot drop you know not sheer drop but pretty pretty good and it bottoms out right at the glacier wow yeah and it, it sounds like it was a very kind of um action movie moment where they all you know i think they were some of them were probably asleep on the bus and you know they all woke up to find out they all needed to you know tiptoe up to the front and, and get out and they and this is a movie where the cast of the movie actually had to push the bus back on the road to get going again which is pretty pretty crazy it's just one of the one of the uh this is one of the off-screen ones, but they're you know one of the many examples of uh, uh, really kind of dangerous things that happened with the uh, with the cast stuff that would probably never happen today on a movie set. Right, I think Joel Polis does a pretty good rendition of telling that story on the original DVD, and I think for the new uh, Blu-ray that came out, he, he tells the story again. So yeah, <laughs> must have stuck in his memory. I tell you. Yeah, it's definitely. I'm sure uh, you know that might be one of the things I'd remember a little even more than than filming a, such a great movie as uh, you know uh, an actual near death experience like that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I need flares, a parka, kerosene, dog food. Wow, who knew moving to an Antarctic base would be so expensive? And I haven't even started looking for roller skates and giant hats yet. It's a good thing I'm using Amazon so I can get the best price and get this stuff fast. And since I'm using thethingminute.com slash Amazon, a small portion of my purchase goes to help The Thing Minute to help support the podcast. Now, if I can just get some of the listeners to use thethingminute.com slash Amazon, I might just be able to afford that flamethrower. 
so we also get introduced to uh, to Palmer here, although we, we've seen him a little early in the movie, but um, here we get to see him kind of in his natural element. So uh, Palmer, we get to see with, uh, you know, right after the, the war with Norway line, you know, lighting up his joint with a ridiculous flame on his lighter, <laughs> you know, and, and dressed in a way that, you know, you have to wonder what kind of clothes these guys all brought with them to Antarctica. Because <laughs> you have to think that, you know, Nalls brought his roller skates along and, and Palmer happened to bring his like ripped jean vest or denim vest and everything. <laughs> it's kind of funny to think about that. But um so Palmer is uh, is described in the script as uh, 27, a second string chopper pilot, crack mechanic, mm-hmm. long hair, slight 60s, acid damage. <laughs> <laughs> Which I uh, I hadn't remember. I, I remember reading that, but it's been a while since I heard that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, I think a perfect description for uh, for Palmer. Possibly. Yeah. So Palmer's played by uh, David Clennon. Yeah, great actor. Yeah, David Clennon is fantastic, and I I love. I love seeing, um, you know, I didn't know that much about him before I started, you know, kind of researching for this podcast stuff and, and watching uh, some of the behind the scenes uh, featurettes on the Blu-ray where, uh, where you get to meet these guys. Um, I was delighted to see that David Clennon seems very much like, uh, like Palmer uh, having grown, grown older. Um, <laughs> he's, he's kind of a hippie guy with, he's wearing a, a feel the burn for uh, Bernie Sanders shirt in the, uh, in the interview, which is kind of great. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> it is great. Yes. Yeah, David Clennon is is super super awesome. There's some some great stuff about uh you know that he kind of has some great memories about the movie too. That watching that special feature, I think it's called The Men of Outpost Thirty One, mm-hmm. is is definitely worth a watch for for listeners who haven't. And I think he actually came in reading for a different character. I want to say it was Bennings that he came in to read for. And then, uh, you know, became a little bit more interested. Either he was more uh, found himself more interested in Palmer, or, or, um, or you know, the uh, the producers decided that was a, a better fit for him, which definitely works. I like the idea too that we know that David Clennant purposely plays uh, the whole movie as if he's not the thing. He it sounds like he did not. Um, you know, a lot of the cast were were constantly kind of uh you know discussing who was the thing and how did it work and mm-hmm. you know how how to portray that you know whether you knew you were the thing if if you had been infected or not and he he just was like eh, you know I'm just going to play it as myself or a, as Palmer and you know that way it's that much more of a scare when we find out you know that he eventually has been infected right carpenter asked all of the cast to play themselves whether they were infected they knew they were infected or not as a character he asked them to just play it straight so which is exactly what the the, the thing would do right to maintain its cover yeah, yeah, and it makes it makes perfect sense. I also thought it was interesting to read about some of the people who were also considered for the role of Palmer. It's act- actually some really interesting names. Jay Leno and Gary Shandling, uh, uh-huh. which is fascinating to think about. I can't even uh, imagine. I have never heard that before. Yeah, I, I can't remember where I read that, but it's, um, yeah, I, I, that's, oh, I think I was actually on uh, on uh, Stuart Cohen's blog, which is phenomenal. Um for uh, listeners who, who want a really deep dive on kind of, you know, the story behind the production and the release and everything, that, that blog is is wonderful. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I guess they were looking for comedians and it sounds like, you know, a lot of casting directors, that's kind of where they look is uh, at stand-up clubs and stuff. And Jay Leno and Gary Shandling were two of the guys that were kind of, you know, coming up at that time. I, I want to say Jay Leno may have even read for the part, which is insane to think about you know what what a weird piece of trivia that would be if you know jay Leno yeah. had gotten his start and in, in the thing that, like i said i never heard that that is pretty interesting though i'm gonna have to go back and look at cohen's blog and see if that's where that is yeah wow. i think that's where i read that but uh also you know interesting to note with palmer that um 
this is the character that uh, Rob Bottin had initially wanted to play, which is, you know, very interesting too, considering how, you know, overwhelmed and exhausted he was with this whole production. Um, it sounds like uh, Roy Arbogast, who was also on the special effects team, was furious that, you know, this, uh, their, their, you know, the leader of their team was also, you know, wanted to take on this part in the movie and actually might've even threatened to quit if that happened. (laughs) So obviously I think it's excellent that we got David Clinton. He plays the role uh, to perfection. I think, Um, you know, very memorable character, but uh, you know, it's interesting to think about the, you know, what, what could have been, I guess. Wow. I think the the film is cast perfectly. And uh, you know, we always, you know, wonder what it would be like had somebody else been cast in the role and, you know, it, it just doesn't have, like, doesn't happen that way. And these are the men that were chosen, and, and this is the film we have. And I just think it's, you know, the movie hits for me on, on every level, casting, cinematography, directing, the writing. It's it's absolute perfection. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. And, and yeah, I think the the cast, the, these group of characters and, and the men who play them are, are definitely a huge part of that. You know, it's it's such an interesting group of group of guys, and uh, both both in terms of the actors and the characters, and and just the way they. Uh, it sounds like they did a real pretty heavy duty rehearsal period before they filmed the movie, so you you can definitely tell that these guys have kind of established some kind of relationships and kind of interact. The way their characters interact has been really well established, far far above what the script provides, which is really cool to see when when actors get a chance to really dive into it that much. Right. The, guy, the men had some time to intermingle, too, because there was quite a bit of a longer shoot with shooting at L.A. in the summer of 81. And then it wasn't until December that they, they met again up in Stewart to film the the, uh, the location set scenes up there. So they were together for, you know, at least half a year shooting this movie. Yeah, it was kind of a long process, I guess, too. Yeah, so that, that's a good point. So, yeah, these guys definitely um, got got pretty close. And, you know, we'll, we'll see later on for sure as, as we go through the movie uh, some of the kind of examples of things that the uh the actors specifically brought to brought to the movie in terms of different kind of character reactions that they thought about or 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 lines even and you know some of the relationships uh you know for example the relationship between Clark and Childs is something that's you know that those two characters kind of worked on together and decided to uh to to put together which is really cool we were talking with Richard Masser um back at Monster Mania in March about that how he and Keith David were the two largest men so their egos were kind of you know, they were kind of combating with each other and then they have that standoff scene in the hallway. So it was kind of interesting to to, to talk to, to Richard about that. Yeah, it's just one of those things where like, you know, watching the movie, it's it's a it's a little moment that goes by in just a few seconds, but it adds a lot to those two characters. So it's really cool to to hear how that came about, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that's more or less all the the kind of notes I had, uh, you know, about specifically, I guess, but mostly about the characters that we came across here. Um but uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is a scene where we start to um, start to learn who these guys are, and and you know, we we get at the very end of this minute, we get an inkling of what's about to happen next. So, any uh, anything else that you wanted to uh, to mention for minute number twelve? Not on this one. I think we covered it pretty well. Cool. All right. So I think that'll uh, that'll wrap us up for today. So make sure to check us out on iTunes and, and subscribe to the show if you haven't already to make sure you don't miss an episode. Uh, if you like the show, definitely rate and review us. And in the meantime, make sure you come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com, 
And be sure to head over to StarWarsMinute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper, signing out.